top a hot gobful of the tarlock mud puddle, you wet Beelzebubs. Welcome to the Blind by Podcast. What's the crack with you? I've had uh, I've had a bit of a challenging week, challenging last two days because one of my my cats is ill, and I'm a, I'm a bit worried. I'm a bit worried because I'm kind of powerless. You'll know from listening to this podcast that I, I can't. I have these two cats. Well, I don't have them. It's it's like I have two cats who I give a house to, and I feed them outside, and they're wild, but they're not wild. So they they live with me, and I feed them, but they're feral as such. So I can't pet them. They're still very scared of me, even though it's been like two years. And it's a relationship that works. I'm happy with it. I'm just happy to be... I'm happy that they're alive and healthy because I can intervene and feed them and I can give them a little house, a small little wooden house for when the weather is shit. And they're brother and sister and they're called Silken Thomas, who's a boy and he's deaf and Napper Tandy, who's a girl and she she's not deaf. And they kind of, Napper Tandy kind of looks after Silken Thomas because he's deaf. He, not only is he deaf, but I don't think his eyesight is great because his, his pupils never dilate. They're, they're always like snakes' eyes. You know, even when it's dark, his pupils never go big. And his coordination isn't great. So they're, they're white cats, you see. And his sister, Napper Tandy, she's the one who kind of is more active. She's the one who tells me when they want food and all of this stuff. So Silken Thomas very much relies upon his sister, Napper Tandy, for, for survival. And she's ill at the moment. She's got... Her mouth is drooling really bad and she can't eat her food. Now it's only been like that for a day. But and she's generally unwell. She, you know her tail is down so she she's ill. And I don't know what it could be and I, I looked it up. Worst case scenario she's been poisoned, which would break my fucking heart because I lost the cat before to suspected poisoning. Worst case scenario she's poisoned. Best case scenario she has like an abscess on her tooth. Now the problem is they're both feral cats, so I can't just catch. I can't just catch Napper Tandy, put her into a box and bring her to the vet because I I simply can't get close enough to her to even catch her, and I can't like call the Limerick Animal Rescue people because as soon as as someone who isn't me goes near those two cats, like I had someone fixing my boiler recently as soon as someone who isn't me comes into their area they disappear for like two days they just get terrified and they disappear somewhere for two days so it's it's difficult for me to get the the animal rescue people involved so tomorrow i'm gonna i'm gonna have to literally try and trap her depending on how she is now she could be grand she could be grand she because i looked at her earlier and she wasn't drooling as much but tomorrow I'm going to have to trap her. I'm going to have to get like um, wet cat food. Because I feed them dry cat food. Wet cat food they go absolutely apeshit for. So if I could have 
I have a cat box that used to belong to my old cat Charlie. I'm going to have to set up a trap where I put wet cat food in that. And then hopefully she goes in there and I catch her and bring her to the vet. But the problem is he's most likely going to go in there first because they have a pecking order with the food. Whenever food is presented, I don't know why it's, it must be some type of cat misogyny. He always eats first. Now I could be wrong. It might not be cat misogyny. It could be because because he's deaf and his eyesight isn't great. Out of compassion, his sister allows him to eat first. Maybe that's what it is. I don't want to be projecting human patriarchy onto the two cats. But he always eats first. So I don't know how, how I'm going to trap her with food without first trying to trap him. And I can't have that. That's a fucking doomsday scenario because now I have two incredibly nervous and frightened feral fucking cats together in a box kidding each other so there's going to be some fucking Tom Clancy shit going on tomorrow to try and figure out how to catch her and her only so I can bring her to the vet and, and get her some treatment so so it's a really difficult situation I've got a fucking sick cat who I can't physically contact and help and if I try to and if I scare them too much they might leave for two days so that's a strangely stressful situation for me to be in because I'd be I'd be quite upset. I'd be quite upset if something happened to those cats and in, in particular if something happened to her because that poor little boy, fucking Silken Thomas, who's deaf and doesn't have great eyesight, he relies upon her and as well they're brother and sister, they're friends with each other. They, they have a lovely relationship. They're not lonely. They sleep together in their little wooden house and they cuddle up with each other at night time and they keep each other warm. And if one of them was to go, it would just be fucking heartbreaking and, and it would be it would hurt really deeply. And not only that, I couldn't, like, take the, the one cat that's left, I can't, like, tame him and bring him into my gaff and cuddle him and stuff and, and give them a better life. They're just going to be this lonely cat outside on their own missing the, missing his sister. So that's bothering me at the moment. So uh, yeah, I just hope to fuck that tomorrow morning when I take a look at her that there'll be an improvement. And what gives me hope is that she's not re- rejecting food. She just can't eat it. So that means either it's an issue with her teeth or it's she has something lodged in her throat that she needs to get out and that that's why she can't swallow but if it was poisoning she wouldn't want food if you get me she wouldn't be going over to the dish so I'm going to judge it tomorrow but most likely I'll be bringing her to the fucking vet I'll be bringing her to the vet to, to get her looked at which is not an enjoyable experience for a feral cat at all this is a cat who two years of feeding her every day being nice to her slow blinking doing all of this clearly they're being trust and all of this there even still I can't get within a foot of her to to touch her you know so that's the trust issues we're dealing with here that, that's how wild she is apologies if I up- uploaded uploaded offloaded my cat anxiety on you did I upload my cat anxiety to you? Because this is an internet transaction. 
Yeah, I did. I did. Because you downloaded this podcast. Like, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're streaming it, you're technically downloading this podcast. So therefore, I didn't offload my cat anxiety on you. I fucking uploaded it directly into your mind. So apologies for that if it was too, uh, was if it was a lot. But I needed to say it to you because, I don't know, if I've got something pissing me off, if I've got something that's bothering me, and I want to give you an authentic podcast that's congruent, by which I mean the words that come out of my mouth match the emotions inside of me, I think it's appropriate. It's appropriate self-disclosure to say to you at the start, I'm, I'm worried about my sick cat. And then once I, once I name that, once I name it and I say it, then I can move on congruently. But if I lie to you and it's like there's this thing that's bothering me and I'm not going to tell you, then I run the risk of doing an inauthentic podcast. And we can't have that. So, other than that, I booked myself a small little live fucking gig on August 22nd, which is two weeks away, up in Dublin. Um, I tell you why I booked it. Because it's one of these gigs that's done within COVID restrictions. So, I'm guessing there's only going to be like 50 people allowed at it. It'll be very, very small, all with social distancing. I'll tell you what it is first. It's Blind by Podcast. I'm going to be speaking with the filmmaker Jim Sheridan. Right? He's a big filmmaker. And it's going to be in the Royal Hospital Kilmainham. It's called All Curious Minds. So, is it sold out? I don't know. It got announced three or four days ago. There's probably only like 50 tickets. So if you want to come to that and you're in Dublin on the 22nd of August, two weeks away, then... Just type in All Curious Minds Blind by Boat Club and Jim Sheridan Get yourself a ticket Assuming there, there's one there They might be gone Now if you're freaking out going August 22nd Blind by That's when the All-Ireland Final is on Well this gig is at 12.30 in the day So it's 12.30 noon That this gig is happening And I'm doing it I'll tell you I'm doing it for me I'm doing it for my head Because I haven't done any social distancing gigs during the pandemic I haven't availed of any opportunities Um, a couple of reasons first of all I, I personally I'd like to do a gig when we're allowed fucking gig again like I've got three sold out Vicar Streets okay they were for February 2020 they kept getting postponed because of the pandemic but I, I want to do them but then I was thinking fuck it man that's 2,000 people a gig so they'll probably get rescheduled to like November and I've got a history of social anxiety and I can't believe that two years ago I used to go and do gigs to huge crowds that I used to walk out on stage just me and have a huge crowd there I can't believe that I used to be that person so because of that that has me a little bit worried because I can't empathise with what it's like and I've forgotten to have a big audience there and it's just me up on stage it's kind of frightening so I think it's wise of me to take one or two really small gigs where I'm there with an audience to wean myself back into it and to go oh no this isn't scary at all you've done this loads it's fine so I think it's wise to do one or two 50 people gigs rather than going fucking 
bollocks deep straight into fucking Vicker Street with 2,000 people. You know what I mean? It's just a smart move. The other reason as well I wasn't doing any pandemic gigs is over the course of the pandemic, I changed my entire model. I changed my entire model of, of how I how I work, essentially. The pandemic showed me that, wow, all it takes is a disease to come along and it destroys my entire industry, the live industry. It takes away my livelihood. Fuck me, that's scary. Wow. And I changed things up and I said, I'm never relying upon live again. I'm never relying upon that. If it's that fragile, I'm never relying upon it. So I moved things online. You know, I've got the Patreon. I started doing Twitch. And I made a decision that said, from here on in, I'm going to become pandemic proof. So if another pandemic was to happen, I'm not absolutely fucked. Because also, the, the Irish government have demonstrated that they simply don't care about the arts industry in Ireland. They don't care. We don't even have an effective roadmap in place as to what the live industry is going to look like moving forward. The government really showed us that they don't give a shit. Knowing that there's going to be 50,000 people allowed into Croke Park for Harlan, but we don't know how many people are allowed to go to gigs. It's really, really poor. So I never want to re- rely upon live gigs again. I never want to rely upon them. I want to stick with my Patreon and things like that. That's what I love doing making content, putting it out and then I do love gigging but I'm I'm only going to do the gigs that I want to do. That's how I'm going to do it from now on. And I'm, get, I'm two years older as well. I'm drifting farther into my 30s, you know, and gigging, gigging is a, a younger person's game. It's very demanding. There's a lot of late nights. A lot of, and I don't mean late nights on the piss. I mean, you get off stage at fucking 12 and you're buzzing and then you're driving you're not home till 8 in the morning. That takes its toll when you're doing that more than once a week. Even if you go back to your hotel. If you're up on a stage and you don't get off that stage till 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, your brain isn't switching off. So you're not sleeping at all. So people who gig don't sleep a lot. Simple as that. So I definitely don't like doing that once a week or more than once a week. Also, do you know what other gig I'm going to be doing soon enough? Um, down in Cork, that lovely festival, It Takes a Village, which is a fantastic festival down in Trabalgan, right? They're announcing some type of socially distant situation where they're putting on It Takes a Village festival in the middle of September. And I'm going to go down to that and do a little podcast. So check out It Takes a Village if you're in the Cork area. The lads who run that as well are lovely. They're sound chaps. What am I going to do this week on the podcast? I'm going to speak about... I'm going to do some paddy wackery. I'm going to do some paddy wackery. I'm going to lean into some paddy wackery. By which I mean... Do you remember I did a podcast about six weeks ago? About chicken fillet rolls. And the reason I did the chicken fillet roll podcast was... Go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it. Chicken fillet rolls are a unique Irish food stuff. And the reason I did a chicken fillet roll podcast is a lot of people were asking me because what's happened is the Irish podcast space has changed over the pandemic. Over the past two years, of the, I'm saying two years, it's, it's nearly, lads, 2022 is fucking four months away almost. So it's, it's been nearly two years. But like over the course of the pandemic, 
the Irish podcast space has changed. Not just what podcasts are being made, but who's listening to podcasts. So pre-COVID, the people who were listening to podcasts were nerds. People like me. People like me who were trying to move away from listening to radio or watching TV because they're like, this has gone to shit. Advertising has destroyed it. There's nothing interesting here. I need some niche topics. And that's what that's who used to listen to podcasts. But then over COVID, something happened. The people who used to listen to radio or watch TV, they all of a sudden now moved on to podcasts. Like there's a lot more people listening to podcasts now. Way more people listening to podcasts. I think it's work from home. I think people were working from home and they wanted to hear human voices and podcasts were the best option. But podcasts now have become huge. Now this is good and bad. It's good because now you have more people listening to podcasts. So that's fantastic. It's bad because you have more people listening to podcasts. The huge corporations who were making shit of TV and radio are now trying to make shit of podcasts. Podcasts are good because the people who make them are genuinely passionate about what they're making. It's usually a small team or maybe just one person like this podcast making something because they love making it. Now you've got big piles of money coming in and just churning out these fucking podcasts and a lot of them aren't good. The quality isn't there. So that's the negative of podcasts getting huge over the pandemic. And you know what I heard actually? And this is why you've got like... This is why you've got Spotify spending 100 million on the Joe Rogan podcast. Now, I'm not shitting on the Joe Rogan podcast. I I don't like it when Joe Rogan is irresponsible and says like anti-vax type shit. I don't like it when he does that. And I don't like it when he's giving platforms to quite a lot of figures on the right. I really disagree with that. When Joe Rogan has a good guest on, I listen to the podcast to hear the guest. And he is good at interviewing. So I'm not trying to say the Joe Rogan podcast is is a bad quality podcast. It's a very high quality podcast that could do with being a bit more responsible every so often, I think. But I'm mentioning it because Spotify paid him 100 million for the exclusive rights to his podcast. That's fucking huge. That's, That's Hollywood blockbuster money. And Spotify aren't silly boys. They know what they're doing. So... Here's what I heard, a little little industry buzz. Apparently, the reason podcasts are being invested in so hugely at the moment is the entertainment landscape of the future, as in the next decade and beyond, is going to be within self-driving cars. Okay? So, over the next 10 years, we're going to see petrol cars are going to start going out. We're going to start seeing electric cars And we're going to start seeing self-driving cars. So your dashboard will be where entertainment happens. So apps are fighting for dominance in this future space. Like think of your fucking smartphone and all the apps that are on it. Now imagine your smartphone becomes your fucking car that essentially drives you to work. And then as your car is driving you, you now have all these apps to explore on your dashboard. And they'll most likely be listening apps because... Even in a in the next decade with self-driving cars, I don't think we'll legally be able to watch video in our car. You still have to have some awareness of the road to take the wheel. So things like podcasts, audiobooks, that's the new a brand new entertainment space where you can give full attention 
because you're not driving. They're fighting right now to be the supreme app in whatever cars are being made. And apparently podcast investment is going to lead to that. So that's why you're going, fuck me, a hundred million for Joe Rogan. Jesus, that's a lot of money. And also why you're seeing all these new podcast apps popping up. And think of it too, when you have a self-driving car that's using artificial intelligence and it's an electric car, those cars, the self-driving AI cars, they learn how to drive by farming data. So if you have your podcast app in a car, you're giving that app all the data of your driving and then that app not only sells that data to advertisers, but also sells the data of your driving to a machine learning company that then teaches self-driving cars to become better at driving. So it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense that that's what things are going to be like in the next decade. How the fuck did I do that now? How the fuck did I get from anxiety around my poor drooling cat and trying to trap her to pontificating about the future of the self-driving car industry via podcast investment? I don't know. But anyway, Paddy Wackery, all right? So I first started to notice a change in podcast audiences about a year and a half ago because all of a sudden I was being... I was being asked questions such as talk about chicken fillet rolls or people would say comments like I listen to your podcast I don't like it when you talk about art but I'd love to hear you talk about something like chicken fillet rolls and I had a choice am I going to be an elitist prick or am I going to respond to changing demographics and say fuck it I will do a podcast about chicken fillet rolls and I did it and I actually really enjoyed it and I got to do it in my own way I'm glad I did. So this week I'm going to speak... I'm going to, I'm going to speak about other things that I'm asked to speak about that are similar to chicken fillet rolls. So most of the comments I get from these people who I think... The people who use Facebook. That's who these people are. They're people who use Facebook. And I'll tell you why. When I used to post in like 2018, Hey lads, listen to my podcast on my Facebook page that has like 450,000 followers. So that's a lot. The posts would get zero engagement and every so often you'd get one or two comments and people would say, what's a podcast? Now when I post on Facebook, people know what a fucking podcast is and these are the people who ask for, stop talking about art and start talking about chicken fillet rolls. And what they also want to hear me talk about is Lynx Africa, um, the hot press or the immersion tank, teenage discos, Alright, these are all common themes that kind of mainstream Irish audiences who listen to podcasts want to hear. Just talk about chicken fillet rolls, Lynx Africa, teenage discos and we'll be happy. So fuck it, I will. I'll give it a go. And I'll tell you what inspired this. It's just last week. Last week's podcast was about the emotion of blame and anger. It was a mental health podcast. Now most of you enjoyed it. But when I posted it on Facebook, I saw these two 18-year-old lads talking about it and it kind of broke my heart. One of them just goes, oh no, not a mental health podcast. Just talk about chicken fillet rolls. I like the one where you talked about chicken fillet rolls. And then his friend responded underneath and said, don't worry, man. Maybe next week you come back with something good. So fuck it, I will. I'm going to talk about teenage discos and Lynx Africa for some harmless nostalgia and to to critique their cultural significance in Irish society. So let's begin with 
with Lynx Africa. Now, it's hard to separate Lynx Africa with the Teenage Disco because they're both culturally intertwined. So first off, Lynx Africa is deodorant. It's deodorant that's marketed at young men. If you live in America, it's called Axe. Lynx is called Axe in America. In Ireland and in the Britain, it's Lynx. So if you were a teenage boy in Ireland, chances are you used Lynx Africa. This was the deodorant that you used. And it was it was ubiquitous. I'm going to get around to why it was so ubiquitous. First off, in, in the school that I was in, there was a terrible situation. In the school that I went to in fifth year, someone was in the, the gym and they had a lighter and they had a can of Lynx Africa and they used it as a flamethrower. And the teacher came in and saw a young fella using a can of Lynx Africa as a flamethrower. This, had, this is obviously the first time ever that the teacher had figured out, oh my God, you can use deodorant as a flamethrower if you have a lighter. The teacher then explained it to the principal. The principal then banned all deodorant uh, from the fucking from the school, which was awful because if you were doing PE in school, you had you, you were sweating obviously, and it's a lot of lads, teenage lads who are sweating profu- profusely, and then the teacher would we'd say to the teacher, "Let us use our fucking deodorant. Let us use our deodorant." No, they're banned. Go and have a shower, and of course, no one's having a shower because a teenage boys are not getting in, in the nip in front of other teenage boys because they're conscious about their bodies and the massive teasing that'll happen. Plus, there was no running water. So, we had a stinky school. We had a stinky school, especially after PE. And I remember specifically bringing in my ma's roll-on deodorant, which was sure, a sure woman's deodorant, and going to the PE teacher and saying, I can't set this on fire. Please let me use this. And he confiscated it. But I digress. Lynx Africa. Ubiquitous deodorant for young Irish men. It's smell. I mean, I've nothing against Lynx Africa to this day. Some people are like, fucking awful. I think it's, it's the magnolia of deodorants. It's woody. It's spicy. You know? It's, it's like what you imagine a, a man is supposed to smell like. If you recall in your head what you think dad deodorant or dad aftershave is, Lynx Africa does a pretty good job of hitting all those marks. And there was other Lynx fragrances. There was Lynx Java. I used to like Lynx Java. But the thing with Lynx Java is, yes, it was nice, but it had too much personality. It was like, it was lilac. It was lilac. You know, you get sick of it after a while. Paint your bedroom lilac. It's nice for about a week and then you're dealing with lilac walls. But Lynx Africa is magnolia. You can't have a problem with magnolia. It just blends in there as wall colour. Then you had Lynx Atlantis. Lynx Atlantis was a bit like Lynx Africa, but it was like a trying too hard version of Lynx Africa, and there was a slight metallic note to it. So Lynx Africa was the perfect balance. Woody smell that managed to sell an adult masculinity in an olfactory way to teenage boys. Also, 
most teenage boys were introduced in Ireland were introduced to Lynx, Lynx Africa via their mothers at Christmas because Lynx were really good at the old Christmas box sets. So when you were about 13, what would happen is you'd get your regular Christmas presents and then all of a sudden now it's like, oh, what's this? A Lynx gift box. There's Lynx Africa shower gel and Lynx Africa deodorant. Wow, I better try using this. Now the interesting thing about Maz getting you a Lynx Africa box set at 13 is it's actually covert messaging. There's a covert message there. Now, before I get into this, I might I might as well say about this particular podcast, right? I can't do this podcast without being a bit rude and at times sexually explicit. Now, if you're a grown adult, grand, you're well able for that. But if you're someone who listens to this podcast with, like, your eight-year-old son, then maybe don't, because they're going to ask you some... They're going to ask you some difficult questions based around things that I bring up. So anyway... When your mother gets you Lynx Africa when you're 13, there's a covert message there. And this is how it works. Your da says to your ma, he's going to be 13 soon. He's going to need to start washing underneath his foreskin. And then your ma goes, well, I'm not saying that to him. And then your da goes, well, neither am I. So they get the Lynx Africa box set. Lynx Africa box set given to a 13-year-old boy actually means wash underneath the skin on the top of your dick because it's something you didn't have to consider or think about up to this point in your life. But when you hit 13 and you start maturing, you're going to need to wash underneath the top of your dick, son. Now, I could go full Roland Bart on the semiotics of the language used here, right? I'm just, I'm just going to do it as an aside. If... The Lynx box set is actually covert messaging for washing underneath your foreskin. I do find it interesting that in America, where most people are circumcised and don't have foreskins, Lynx is called axe. An axe is something you chop things with. Whereas in the UK and Ireland, where most people aren't circumcised, it's called Lynx. Your foreskin is linked to your mickey. But I'm not going to go there because I think that might be a bit too far-fetched. Or maybe not. I mean, we're talking about a company here who are making shower gel for teenage boys. So, at some point, someone's talking about washing dicks. At some point in, in the creation of links, at a boardroom, or chemists or scientists, they're going to be saying, someone's going to be using this shower gel most definitely to wash underneath the skin of their dick. Is this suitable for the uncircumcised? I can tell you a company who doesn't have that conversation. Whoever the fuck makes original mint source shower gel. If you've ever gotten that underneath your foreskin. Or on your rectum. Or your barse. You'll know all about it. Feels like I'm after robbing the devil's bicycle. But back to the Lynx Christmas box set. How do we as teenage boys figure out the covert messaging. That when your ma gives you. Lynx box set at Christmas when you're 13 that that actually means wash your dick your ma doesn't say it to you your dad doesn't say it to you the fucking priest says it to you because in my day the early 2000s sex education was delivered to you in school by a priest when you were 13 and the priest told you wash underneath your dick 
the priest also said to you, when you get wet dreams, it's because you dreamt about fucking the devil. And if you happen to get an involuntary erection, you're supposed to think about a polar bear sitting on an ever-melting block of ice in order to make the, the erection disappear. This is what I was, verbatim, 13 years of age, told by a priest, delivering a sex education. Didn't tell us anything about consent. Didn't tell us anything about the risk of pregnancy because they just told us not to have sex in the first place and didn't tell us anything about contraception because priests can't talk about contraception. The early 2000s in Ireland trying to receive my secondary education. But anyway, when the adult Catholic priest says to your entire class, um, you need to pull the skin of your dick back and wash your dick, then your mind says, ah, I'm going to use that Lynx Africa that my ma got me. So the covert message was successful. Your parents told you to wash your dick, but they didn't have to because the priest did it for you via the Lynx Africa Christmas box set. Now, the other thing with Lynx is once you got that Christmas box set, you then start becoming aware of Lynx advertising on TV and it was very heavily advertised. And Lynx... Lynx literally advertised itself as an aphrodisiac. It advertised itself as a fragrance that would attract women. It did this very overtly. On its ads, you'd have a lad wearing Lynx and then all these gorgeous women wanted to ride him. And that's how Lynx advertised themselves. It was their tagline. They called it the Lynx effect. I remember they would sell box sets of Lynx Africa and you'd get shower gel, Lynx Africa deodorant and then a little counter. Do you know like when you walk into a supermarket today during COVID restrictions and the security guard has a little counter to count how many people come into the fucking store. Lynx used to give them away with their deodorant and you were supposed to use it to count how many women were interested in you since you started wearing Lynx. So now you you start to believe that like I don't mind the smell of this Lynx stuff and and not only not only does it smell nice, but the advert is telling me that when I wear it, women are going to be mad about me so much that I need to carry a counter around with me. And there was a bizarre obsession with aphrodisiac scents in in the early two thousands and late nineties. There was a strange like if you went into a male toilet sometime around two thousand and one, pre nine eleven. If you went into a pre-9-11 male toilet, there'd be a condom machine and then beside the condom machine they're selling these little bottles of what was known as Spanish Fly. It was called Spanish Fly. And it's pure one of these things that like someone's someone's grubby father went over to Fortaventura and had a lot of sex and came back with a bunch of this Spanish Fly, little bottles of Spanish Fly and erotic playing cards and told everybody that if you put this on you, it drives the women mad. They can't control themselves. But this Spanish fly stuff used to be sold in all of these men's toilets, pre-9-11, alongside condoms. Now, I looked it up, and apparently this Spanish fly, it's actually a beetle. It's a beetle from the Mediterranean. And how does this beetle from the Mediterranean end up in men's toilets in Limerick as as something that makes women uncontrollably attracted to you. Well, apparently, 
Roman gladiators used to crush up this beetle in order to entice people into having orgies and this somehow ended up more than a thousand years later in the toilets of Limerick. But I remember the first time seeing it because I think I was like 10. I was 10 and we went to the cinema. Me and my friends went to the cinema to see fucking Independence Day or something. And we were in the me- the men's toilets and we obviously had money because we were, sp- we were going to the cinema and we wanted to buy sweets. And we, we, were, we saw condoms for the first time. And we knew that... We didn't really know what condoms were. We, we just... We knew it was a bad word. We knew that you can say fuck, you can say cunt, but you can't say condoms around adults. And sometimes you'd see a used condom. Remember, th- remember that when you were a child? I remember that, man. You, your, your entire summer would be defined by it. You'd be there about eight or nine years of age and your friend would run up. And they've either found a dead rat or a used condom. And then there's just this used condom on the ground. And you pick it up with a stick and put it on a Labrador's back. And then the Labrador runs away with the condom on his back. And you're howling, laughing. And talking about the Labrador running with the condom on his back. And then an adult hears you say the word condom. And you learn very quickly that that's the worst word that you can say. But anyway, back to the cinema toilets. So we're in the men's toilets in the cinema. And... There's, there's a machine there and it's got Spanish fly aphrodisiac which you can look at the graphic and it's like wow okay well that attracts women whatever the fuck that is and then you've got condoms and my only reference for a condom was something you see on the ground you know used or thrown onto a Labrador's back so anyway we were 10 and we ended up getting killed we ended up getting kicked out of the cinema for chewing flavoured condoms. <laughs> we were chewing flavoured condoms in the middle of fucking Independence Day. And the security guard kicked us out. We didn't know what the fuck they were. We just knew they were bald. Banana flavoured. And no internet... No internet. So, and you're not going to ask an adult what a condom is because you know when you say condom, the adults are just like, that's the boldest word ever. So bold that I'm not even giving out to you. I'm just leaving the room. And I then eventually learned what a condom was from a fella called Barry Cotter. And the same man told me, uh, when I lose my virginity, I'm going to piss inside the woman so she thinks that I have loads of cum. So that man, he wasn't a man, he was a boy. He was about two months older than me. He was about ten. That's who told me what a condom was. And then you regret all the time you spent over childhood summers gathered around them with other children, staring at them on the ground as the discarded items of rubbish that have this incredible power to scare the living fuck out of any adult who's nearby in case they have to tell you what it is. But anyway... Three years later, 13, Lynx Africa. What Lynx had done is they had taken... So these this Spanish fly aphrodisiac that existed only in men's toilets in those little white vending machines the condoms come out of. Lynx had taken that and put made it mainstream. It was no longer this quiet thing that's hidden away in a men's cubicle with a smell of piss. Now it's on TV. 
links were the 100 million Spotify investment in the Joe Rogan podcast. They did for Spanish Fly what Spotify did for podcasts. Now it's all over television and links are going, here's this deodorant. And if you use this, the women will just, they'll follow you everywhere. You won't be able to get rid of them. Links had become mainstream Spanish Fly. And this is where we start moving on to teenage discos, right? But before I talk about teenage discos, let's have a little ocarina pause. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Bit of a lackluster ocarina this week. Don't know what's going on there. But, uh... <clears throat> support for this podcast comes via the Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. This podcast is my full-time job. This podcast is how I earn a living. I adore doing it. I love making this podcast. Alright? But if you're enjoying it and you're listening to it... Just please consider paying me for the work that I'm doing. All I'm looking for is the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month. That's it. Alright? And if you can't afford that, don't worry about it. You might be out of work. You mightn't have it. Don't worry about it. But if you can afford that, then you're not only paying for you, you're paying for the person who can't afford it. So everybody gets the same podcast. Alright? And I get to earn a living. Supporting this podcast via Patreon also keeps it fucking independent. And that's very important. I regularly turn down advertisers on this podcast because I'm not into what they're doing. And also, advertisers come along and go, we will advertise on this podcast, but you've got to change this, this and this. Don't talk about priests telling you to wash underneath your dick. All right? I don't have to put up with that, um... I choose who advertises on this. If I don't like them, they can get the boot. And the Patreon gives me the freedom to be that independent, which is magnificent. That's what I want to do going forward. Patreon is where it's at. Patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast. And thank you so much to everyone who does support the podcast. It gives me financial certainty. It gives me financial certainty, which is an impossible thing to have as an artist especially as an independent art- artist catch me on twitch once a week twitch.tv forward slash the blind by podcast where i i make live music up on the spot to the events of a video game or to the events of, of videos it's great crack follow me on instagram blind by Boat club and like the podcast and share the podcast and leave reviews for the podcast that's really important Talk about it on social media. Tell someone about it via word of mouth. And not just my podcast. Any independent podcast that you enjoy listening to. If you're listening to an independent podcast. Then. 
help that podcast along by sharing it or leaving reviews. God bless. So, Teenage Discuss. Another thing I'm repeatedly asked to speak about, if it's not chicken fillet rolls or Lynx Africa, it's Teenage Discuss. These are common things that I am now asked to speak about by this more mainstream podcast audience that I get from places like Facebook. And I don't want to be an an elitist prick and ignore these people because I'm confident I can speak about these things and do it in a way that I'm comfortable. And it's enjoyable. It's good crack. I enjoy doing this. Thinking back to ridiculous things in my childhood. So teenage discos, specifically the Irish teenage disco. Now Lynx Africa very much ties in with the tradition and the lore of the Irish teenage disco. What's a teenage disco? It's it's a rite of passage. It's they're frightening. They're they're frightened. They can be frightening and they can be scary because you're not a child anymore. And the thing is, people develop at different stages. So you hit thirteen, and like some of your friends, their fucking voices are broken. They've got emerging beards they're the same age as you but they're like twice the size of you so people develop at different stages so the teenage disco can be very intimidating because it's it's where it's where you're expected to drink alcohol for the first time and you're expected to have sexual experiences for the first time now the organisers of the fucking teenage discos that's not what they want to do. What they want to do is earn money. So they hire security guards to stop the drinking. And then priests and nuns come along to stop the sexual activity. So I started going to teenage discos when I was 13. There was usually about two a year. And it's teenage discos in Limerick. So what, what used to happen is that they would take place in GAA clubs out in the Limerick countryside so not Limerick city so you had to go out in, way out into the dark countryside if you were from Limerick city to attend a teenage disco that was in a GAA club and run by the GAA community and getting tickets was really fucking difficult because the GAA clubs that were out the country they hated people from Limerick city they thought everyone from Limerick city is trouble so what they did is you had to apply for tickets and then have the tickets sent to your house. And the only real effective way to do that was if if your da or your ma was somehow involved in the GAA, in, in Gaelic football or in hurling. If they were somehow involved in that, then the tickets got sent to your house. But if they weren't, they didn't send tickets to your house. So you had to have friends whose parents were involved in the GAA. And then you could get tickets for the Teenage Disco. So when you finally got to go to the Teenage Disco, they were always in winter. And it was always it was a strange experience if you were from the city. So someone's parents would drive like six of you in a car and you'd go deep into the Limerick countryside. And when you're from the city, the first thing you start to notice is, oh, there's no lights. So everything is dark. So there's all these dark, dark darkness as far as you can see 
and then this one lonely car park where they've hired generators and outdoor lights, big shiny lights. So you see the teenage disco like miles and miles in the distance as this strange white halo that's illuminating like the Halloween fog. So then you get out of the car and you're it's always this horrible gravelly area, this gravelly car park outside a GAA club. And everyone's there. You're fucking freezing. You're, in my day, you had to wear shoes. You couldn't wear tracksuits. Forget about it. If you wore a foot, you're not getting in. So you had to wear jeans, shoes, shirt, that's it. A uniform. And you'd have a group of lads looking like a pack of fruit pastilles in different coloured shirts. Being trainee men. You're being a trainee man. And then the girls would be wearing fucking nothing. The girls would be wearing tiny skirts and freezing, like fucking freezing. But as soon as you got to the car park, what would happen is you had to smuggle your alcohol with you. And the dangerous thing about teenage discos, because you're talking people who are 13, 14, 15, because you have to smuggle your alcohol, usually people have what you'd call naggins of vodka. So it's straight vodka in a small bottle that fits nicely in your pants. Now, you're not going to get this inside the teenage disco. So what happens is, your parents drop you off, you get your nag in a vodka, you disappear into the darkness. And you're from the city, so you don't understand fields and things like that. You disappear into the pitch black. And you're there, you can't see anything, you can only hear people. And you drink a half a pint of vodka in one go. Because while you're drinking the vodka, there's also security guards going around the field with torches. So they know you're in the field trying to drink. So people of 13, 14, 15 put themselves in a situation where they're drinking a pint of vodka in in less than a minute. And it's really, really, really fucking dangerous. Really dangerous. And every teenage disco someone is rushed off in an ambulance to get their stomach pumped. Now, I was lucky because I had older brothers and my older brothers would basically say this to me. They would say, you're going to a disco tonight. Everyone's going to be drinking and I know that you're probably going to drink as well because you're too scared to, to stand out and say no, which I was. I didn't have the confidence to withstand that peer pressure and you don't want to be the the umfla who's not drinking because then they call you a pussy or they call you a chicken or whatever so but my brother said to me don't drink vodka don't drink vodka figure out a way to have some cider or something like that so that's what I did now obviously a, a 13 year old 14 year old should not be drinking cider either that's still harmful but if you drink too much cider you get sick if you're 13 you get sick but it's far less likely that you're unconscious and need to be rushed to hospital to get your stomach pumped like you would with vodka, which is poison to a young person. So I'd have my cider and I would drink a few gulps of it, make sure everyone saw me drinking those gulps. And then when people's backs were turned, I'd be tipping the cider onto the ground because I didn't want to drink. It was peer pressure. I didn't understand. I, I didn't have any context for it I'm like why why do I want to do it it's not even nice 
So I would drink a little bit and then act drunk and make sure everyone saw me and make sure no one caught me pouring it. Because if you were caught pouring drink, that was a, you would be seriously shamed, which is awful. It's awful. 13 year olds shaming other 13 year olds because, oh, he tipped his drink. And the worst part about the drinking is the people who were doing the straight naggins of vodka, they had to time when they drank perfectly. So you had to time drinking an entire pint of vodka just enough so that it would hit you after you got past the queue. So you drink the naggin really quickly, you get into the queue, the queue could take a long time. And you have to hope that by the time you get past security and are in the disco, that's when the alcohol hits you. And I remember seeing people. Because the thing is, so the bizarre thing about a teenage disco in Ireland, those rural teenage discos, the security guards didn't search you. They sniffed you. So you're there queuing up, terrified, while a squat 50-year-old man with a torch and a high-vis jacket called Dusselig comes up and gets a good sniff of the air around your mouth and nose. Fucking mad. And the anxiety in the queue to get in the door of the disco. Like, the anxiety of that was extreme because as you're queuing, you see the people who are vomiting as they get to the top of the queue. Or you see the people who are ready to fall onto the ground because the entire nagging just hit them and you see them being dragged away. And then it's like their parents have to be called back or they might have to go into the ambulance. And it's very tense. It's incredibly tense to get into the teenage disco. But also what's happening, as you get closer and closer to the top where you're going to be smelt, that's when the can of Lynx comes out. So... Lynx was used not only to spray yourself so you smelt fantastic for the girls. It was used... You, you, One of the lads would have a can of Lynx and you'd pass it amongst each other. And before you got to the top of the queue, you'd spray yourself in as much Lynx as possible to mask the smell of alcohol when Dusselig in the high-vis jacket smelt in and around your mouth and nose. So if you're lucky, you make it past Dusselig and now you're in the fucking teenage disco and everyone stinks excessively of Lynx Africa because we think it's an aphrodisiac and it hides the smell of the drink. Now once you're past those security guards, you've got a new problem. When you're in the actual disco, there's priests and nuns and the priests and nuns are there to make sure that you don't get too close to each other because now there's girls and boys together. Now this is the real reason for the drinking. No one has the confidence to speak to a person of the opposite sex. So what happens is you binge drink at a young age in order to speak to someone you fancy which is deeply unhealthy. Deeply unhealthy and is most definitely tied in with that culture of sexual shame and like the sex education we received where they're just telling us nothing other than wash our dicks and think about polar bears so you don't get an erection. So drink is used as the excuse to feel confident around someone of the opposite sex. 
and you still have to ask your friend. So if you see a girl and you like her and you want to shift her, I don't even know if people say shifting anymore. That's what people said when I was a teenager. It means French kissing. I don't even know if people say French. I don't even know if people do that anymore. The fuck do I know? If you wanted to shift the girl, you had to shift the girl. Now that's the thing. There was a lot of lads who, again, they're not fully developed. And they don't want to be shifting girls. Because they still kind of want to be playing with toys. But it doesn't matter. You're 13, 14. You're all the same age. People develop at different times. So you do have boys and girls who have to are forced to be kissing people of the opposite sex. And they don't want to. They haven't gotten to that point yet in their development where they even understand why it's something they might like to do. And I was, I was definitely in that category when I was 13. Most definitely in that category. I was just like, what? I, I don't want to be sticking my tongue in some girl's mouth. I don't want to be... F- you want me to touch where she goes for pisses? The fuck do I have to do that for? So essentially teenage discos were... These bizarre places in GA halls... Where peer pressure forced you into drink or sexual activity regardless of whether you were ready for it or not and then they had the security guards and the priests and the nuns to try and pretend they didn't really do anything occasionally you'd get a nun and if if you were dancing too close to a girl a nun would come up with a broomstick and she'd stick it in between the two of you and in general that was happening and I do remember I drank too much cider I drank too much cider and I was kissing some girl and I got to put my hand up my first bra. I was about 13 and I don't even know if I was interested in doing it. I just, I knew I had to do it so I could tell the lads afterwards that I did it and that's why. And I put my hand up some girl's bra and when my hand was up there, there was a biscuit crumb on her tit and... For the rest of my life, whenever I put my hand up a girl's bra, I felt a phantom biscuit crumb. Like a biscuit crumb that wasn't there on all tits that I touch. So I don't know what that's about. And then another thing about teenage discos that's... That was quite shitty is... You get the roots of real toxic male behaviour because... You're worth... You learn at teenage discos as a lad. I don't know what it's like for girls. But when I was a lad, you learn at teenage discos your your status and worth within a group of other men is dependent upon not upon if you if you met a nice girl and you like her and you got along with each other and you fancy her. You couldn't say that because you'd be called a pussy for that. Your worth becomes dependent upon how many girls did you shift tonight? How many girls' ha- uh, tits did you feel? How many girls did you finger? Did you get did you get a hand job? And that was one of the most coveted ones, right, in terms of status, talking with the lads. If the lad who got the hand job, right? And and here's the bizarre thing. Due to the physical mechanics of a teenage disco hand job, they were never anything to brag about, to be proud of, or even to tell anyone what happened to you. Because essentially what you had to do. You were asking someone, like, 
you're wearing first of all you're wearing these fucking jeans with a belt buckle because that's the only way you're getting in the door so then you had to have some girl while you're standing up try her best to put her hand down the front of your pants where she has no room your dick has no room and it's like saying to someone will you try and shake some dice inside my pants and hit my testicles as hard as possible loads you had to pretend you enjoyed it then you told all your friends then one of them told her friends you got called a legend and she got called a slut and yeah a a lot of toxicity is learned in the the teenage disco A a lot of toxic systems that last into adulthood about worth being defined by how many um girls you can get off with and what you can get from girls and all this stuff it's it was quite unhelpful stuff to learn and no sex education to explain things to us no open dialogue no conversation none of that no trusting adult to initiate those conversations in a safe space because fucking 14 year olds aren't going to initiate that not a chance no mention of consent no mention of it's okay to not want to do something if you don't feel ready to do it no mention of maybe you should respect another person's privacy maybe you shouldn't go and tell all the lads this no discussion around why is this person considered a higher par- higher status just because they kissed that many girls why does that girl now have less worth in your eyes because she kissed that many boys why are you calling why do you call that fella gay because he said that he met a girl and he actually liked her he liked her and he liked talking to her and chatting with her and she was fun why if a fella says that do ye all call him gay what is it about what is it about emotional intimacy that feels so threatening to ye that it needs to be chastised as a group also, why is the word gay being used as an insult? What's that about? Can we speak about that? Why do you need to drink a nagging of vodka in order to speak to a girl that you fancy? What is it What is it about yourself that you don't feel good enough? Or what are you frightened of? Or what does the possibility of rejection mean to you? Why is that so big that... You need to drink so much to remove all those inhibitions. Like that would have, they would have been incredible conversations to have had in a, in a safe group space during sex education. I don't know what sex education is like today. Maybe it's better. Fucking horrendous when, uh, when I was a kid. I also, <clears throat> I don't know if teenage discos have changed or if they're, I haven't a clue. Um, My only the only time I hear about teenage discos now is through this kind of weird scaremongering this this terrified men in their 30s who have daughters who talk about teenage discos and some of the things that I hear just sounds not real it's like they've created this Hieronymus Bosch style vision of what teenage discos are now because they have daughters and they're terrified so I, one lad said to me a couple of years ago, he's like, oh man, the teenage discos now, no, no, if you think it was bad when we were doing them, you've no idea what they're doing now. I'm like, what are you talking about? 
So this fella said to me that apparently now with teenage discos, uh, what the, the tradition is that girls have to find a tree and all the girls go to the tree and they all take off their knickers and hang them on the tree and then walk into the teenage disco with no knickers on. And this is now what happens at teenage discos as told to me by a man in his 30s with a daughter. And it was probably told to him by another man in his 30s with a daughter. It sounds too far-fetched to be real. I just don't believe that loads of girls are hanging their knickers off a fucking tree. It just doesn't... I think that's bullshit. And I think what it is, is that it's projection. It's all that toxicity that that fella had to engage in because of peer pressure when he was 13 at, at the teenage disco. It's now, it's now coming back up. It's now coming back up into his realisation as the imaginary knickers tree beside a GAA pitch. And what happens to the Lynx Africa? Again, I don't know. It's still in shops, so people are obviously still using it. I don't know if Lynx Africa is as culturally significant as it was when I was a teenager. The cycle of Lynx... I wouldn't go near Lynx Africa now, obviously. Um, i tell you an interesting thing that happens with lads in Lynx Africa. So you kind of stop using it at about 17. At about 7... Well, in my day now, so this was Celtic Tiger. People had jobs in 50 or like... So at about 16, 17, if you had a job and you had a bit of extra money, that's when people started buying dupe or Paco Rabanne. You could afford a bottle of actual aftershave, you know, and you had lads trying to get into adult nightclubs. So Lynx became, no, that's for for kids, that's for young teenagers. But then Lynx makes a bizarre comeback at around 20 years of age and I remember this distinctly from about the ages of 20 to 25 adult men started wearing links again as a type of a psychological operation and the theory was no no you're in the nightclub now right now you're in the fucking nightclub so and you're in your 20s you absolutely want women now so what the lads were saying in their 20s was wear Lynx Africa. Don't wear Paco Rabanne. Don't wear nice aftershave. No, fuck that. Wear Lynx Africa. Why? Because if you if you're the fella wearing Lynx Africa, you remind her of the fella she fancied at the teenage disco ten years ago. Ah oh, right, yeah. So you ended up with <laughs> lads of about twenty three or twenty four putting on Lynx Africa to try to try and trick girls into being like, I fancy that guy and I don't know why. And I said, like, yeah, she doesn't know. Her brain, right, via the smell, has confused her into thinking that you're the fella that she shifted when she was 13 at the teenage disco. And I remember lads having this, adult men in their early 20s having this perfectly rational, logical conversation without realising that all they're doing you're just regurgitating that bullshit message that was sold to you by the Lynx Corporation when you were 13. That it's, an, that it's Spanish fly. It's this aphrodisiac that drives women out of control 
But the difference now is that you're you're 23, so you realise that this is harsh shit. So you have to rationalise it by coming up with this mad idea, bizarre idea, that by wearing it, you're tricking her into thinking that she's back at the teenage disco and she, it, the fella she used to fancy then, she'll confuse you with him. And then fast forward 10 years and you're crying about the knickers tree into your pint of beamish. All right, that was, that was teenage discos and links. All right. For the people on Facebook who wanted me to talk about that. And I got to say, I, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed talking about that. That was good fun. Trip down memory lane. All right. And then next week, I'm probably going to go back to talking about art. Dog bless everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.